Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How's that audio sounding out there? Out there in radio land. I see five people in here already. My goodness. We're blowing up, baby. All right. I'm all squared up. I got a little... Ooh, a little bubbly beverage. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Adam Makes Beer. My name is Adam, and this is the August 2023 live stream Q&A. The first question from the chat, Jamie Tripp, really, on your birthday? Full disclosure, this is the birthday live stream. Uh, is it my birthday? No, it is my birthday in two days, August 3rd. Interesting, interesting factoid. Two people were born on August 3rd, 1977. Probably more than two people, but me and Tom Brady. I don't know if, uh, if you're all fans of uh, the GOAT. I don't know if you're comfortable calling them or him that or not, but I mean, let's face it, he kind of is I'm a little uncomfortable kind of with the use of the term GOAT these days, but that that's that's a whole... As a whole nother issue, we have people popping in the chat. Uh, Matt Wares, thank you for the audio thumbs up. We're, we, we try to run a clean ship over here. You know what I mean? High quality audio, high quality video. I mean, you're looking at me, you're listening to me. You get nothing but the best when it comes to Adam Makes Beer. So let's jump on into it today. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, Adam Makes Beer is now a podcast. Check out Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other ones that you can kind of check around. If you're not using those two, I don't really know what you're using. But Jump on there and see all the long-form brewer interviews that we've done. Uh, several brewer interviews. I'm also dropping these live stream Q&As in there. I think it's a pretty good setting for this long-form type discussion. So... Yeah, there's there's an, a growing list of things in there. It might make it a little bit easier to listen in the car, listen at the gym. Those are the only two places that apparently people listen to podcasts because those are the only times you hear, you know, people suggest that you listen to podcasts. But anyways, also, if you are new to the channel or podcast, go to Adam Makes Beer on YouTube, click the playlist tab and see tons of info. We have full brew days there, technique videos, tutorial videos, over 400 videos right now. So really, there really is a wild amount of stuff on there. One of the things I would really love to do is I would love to kind of have a channel that provides information uh, really for, for anybody in the industry interested in getting into the industry. But maybe for some people that are opening their for opening a brewery, they're getting into the industry, they're considering it. You can jump on there. The tutorials, the technique stuff, the brew day stuff, I, I think has a lot of use for new folks looking to, to get into things. Um, not that all my processes are perfect, but I feel like it's a real good nuts and bolts way of getting the job done. There are probably 
some shortcuts along the way, some efficiencies that I could show or, or didn't show in a video. But as far as all that stuff goes, I, I think there's a I think there's a lot of good stuff on there. So so go ahead and check that stuff out. As always, if you're getting value out of the content in this podcast, in these live streams, in these videos, please follow, rate, like, comment, and share with your brewing friends and craft beer enthusiast folks that you know. The August Industry Pro interview will be with Cole Hackbarth, head of brewing ops at Rheingeist Brewing in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've known Cole for a few years now. Uh, good guy. I've had a lot of pub brewers on, kind of, you know, medium-sized pub places on, things like that. But Cole, Cole helped to open a place that was that that went regional. And so we're going to kind of get some of the back that background, too. I know he has a, a formal brewing ed, uh, education background as well. So we're going to talk some industry stuff. Of course, we'll talk a little beer, too. Uh, but that'll be a fun one. Cole Hackbarth, head of brewing ops at Rheingeist. Keep your eyes out for that. We'll be discussing uh, a wide. Oh, that's what I already said. Yeah, as far as Cole goes, really building a regional brand, his brewing background, challenges facing the industry, and more, you won't want to miss it. Now, before we get into all the birthday wishes, high-fiving, good timing, and everything like that, let's talk, let's talk about somebody that I'm thankful for on what is almost my birthday, our dear friends at Blickman Engineering. Blickman Engineering has been the pioneer of nano brewing, and they have helped hundreds of successful breweries achieve their dreams since they started with a one-barrel system in 2006. Now offering a full suite of brew houses up to 15-barrel skidded and insulated, matching cellaring equipment, keg washers, grain mills, and more, sized specifically for the nano brewer. Blickman Pro Brewing Systems are competitively priced without sacrificing quality, and the simple design and factory direct support from our brewing experts gets you up and running faster than anything else on the market. When you're ready to go pro or just kicking the tires, be sure to reach out to them for expert advice and a partner to help you through it all. Turn your dreams into a reality by reaching out to Phil, Tom, or Josh at BlickmanEngineering.com. Again, that is BlickmanEngineering.com. Blickman Engineering Pro Brewing is proud to be the equipment sponsor for this channel and is committed to helping every brewer, no matter where they are in their journey. Check out my people over at Blickman. Good folks over there. Hey, uh, shout out to everybody in the chat. Cowboy Brewer, Jamie Tripp, Matt Wears, Andrew, Cliff, Matt, human on earth, my goodness. Welcome, everybody. Good to see everyone there. Woo. You know, I, I, I broke the mold not too long ago. If you were here for my fun interview that I did with uh, Rock Van Meter of, uh, not Bastone, pardon me, Redwood. Redwood Steakhouse and Brewing. Uh, we had a great talk uh, a couple weeks ago. If you're watching the video, he's drinking out of this amazing two-liter boot. Uh, we we uh, we we had a good time. There there's some there's some fun stuff in there. So go ahead and dig back and check that out. 
but um but yeah i think that's it let's um yeah, I mean, so just all, all the birthday stuff. Thank you for all the uh, birthday wishes. Again, clarification. It's coming up in a couple of days. I'm two days short, but I am going to be gone. I would normally be doing this live stream on Friday. Obviously, uh, new date, new time here, Tuesday at 7 p.m. But I wanted to start a little bit earlier today as, uh, as you know, I work tomorrow. Usually when I live stream on a Friday, I'm not working Saturday. So, um, so yeah, but so we're, we're, we're firing up on a Tuesday. I'm going to be taking Thursday and Friday off this week. I'm going to be heading back up North. I'm going to go up to Michigan and, and visit some friends and, and do a camping trip that shoot by this point, we've been doing longer than we haven't. I think we probably started that camping trip when we were around 21 or 22 and it's been, uh, Oh, shoot, I'm I'm turning 46, so you, you can do the math. We've been running it for a while. What am I drinking? The shocking thing about the my last in, uh, interview with Rock Van Meter was that you did see me drinking beer. I, I did have a pint of MGC pills, uh, the tasty little Keller pills that we have over at Cartridge right now, um, and that was a uh, that was a beer that I used. Clarex, Bruce Clarex, and which helps to uh, reduce the total uh, gluten count in a beer like that, and it does help me out quite a bit. So, uh, so I did that. Um, and uh, Matt Wears uh, shares a ber- uh, birthday with with Adam Sandler. Um, so, I mean, just a, a bunch of greatness in the room. Yeah, me and Tom Brady, eight three seventy seven. I always used to say that when when Tom retired, that's when I would know that I was, uh, you know, done, like over over the hill, um, you know, done succeeding. But anyways, yeah, so Tom hung it up. But I mean, I'm still here, baby, you know. Hey, so let's get into a few things here. This was an interesting month because last last month during the live stream, I had uh, I, I clipped a video out of that, which was ultimately called uh, "Burnt Out Brewers, Alcohol Abuse, and Poor Ownership." And we will say, I received a range of feedback when it came to this one. Oh, what am I drinking? I'm drinking water. <laughs> I had a beer last time. I'm, I'm back to water. So I, I had a range of responses uh, to this to this video. First of all, it was it was a very Pardon me. First of all, it was a very, I mean, it was, it was a good video for me views wise and interaction wise. Um, it was a video where I talked about some of my thoughts on uh, issues uh, in the industry and uh, as, as far as brewer pay, working conditions, um, some things that I don't think brewers should put up with, how I feel as if they should uh, go about approaching it and uh, things like that. So, I was a little hesitant to to answer the question in the first place, hesitant even more to post it. And then I was the most hesitant to go ahead and post that on uh, the brewery on Reddit, the 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 pro brewing subreddit. Um, and that's called the brewery. And I put that in there. I put it on pay me minimum wage to run your entire brewery. I put it on a, a few other a, a few other platforms. I shared it around a few other places, 
and uh, I received tons of positive feedback on it. Tons. It, it was, I mean, it was really nice. And I mean, that's, you know, it's good. I mean, it's not, I don't know. It was positive, right? However, I shared that on Reddit and uh, there were some fussy, from some fussy souls over there on Reddit. I got, I don't know if you can tell, but I, I, I got, I had things, I, I was, I was made fun of physically. My face was made fun of. Um, I was called names. I was told that I was rich and or wealthy. Um, and then they started saying things uh, about my family and uh, telling me that the people that work for me have to hate me. And then that's when I realized where uh, I probably don't need to spend time on Reddit. Um, it was gross enough that I actually pulled, uh, it was gross enough I actually pulled the thread uh, after a little while. And uh, so that was a strange, that, that was a strange little foray there. But, you know, I was reading, I was reading an article and I screenshot this and send this to uh, actually Maggie, my assistant, my former assistant brewer, now brewing over at Urban Artifact, and they just blew up the U.S. Open uh, beer championship with some uh, with some killer stuff. Uh, I think they had three golds in that one, but but they, they they really blew it up out there. Awesome stuff. And she and I like to text each other things back and forth. So I read this clip. Apparently, Sean Payton was talking smack about Nathaniel Hackett, if any of you are NFL fans. And the, the quote from the article goes like this. Sean Payton's stinging criticism certainly created a stir around the Jets with Robert Saleh. Is that how you say his name? Also speaking out in Hackett's defense. I kind of live by the saying, quote, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm at least beginning like low grade popping. I would never, I would never think that like I'm all the way popping off, but maybe I'm achieving like a low level pop. And again, at my age, that's something that you want to monitor. You know what I mean? You just don't want to, you know, take that for granted. But that was strange. That was a weird one. Um, by and large, though, I had people um, being really, re really positive with that. Uh, go ahead and check that one out um, if you haven't already. Um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting one. And I'm probably going to. The Internet's a strange place, man. I, I mean, I figured I even when I put it in, even when I put it in pay me minimum wage on on Facebook, it was only it was it was only positive on there, and I thought you know like but but apparently apparently Reddit breeds uh, a particular type of uh, type of person, but yeah I don't know I've had I've had bad luck on Reddit right when I first started doing this, I asked for questions for a live stream Q and A I think in the homebrewing sub Reddit, and I got the the thread locked. And saying, uh, I don't know, man, it's weird. Reddit, Reddit doesn't like me. Uh, Reddit doesn't, uh, Reddit doesn't like me. So uh, I'll, I'll just have to, I'll have to live with it. All the, uh, all the Redditors out there.
But anyways, uh, let's get to our first question is from Amy Charles on YouTube. What do you think about doing this with an IPL? Let's say I fermented at 50 to 52 degrees using Imperial's L13 Global. I love that strain. I pull it off yeast and transfer it to a secondary and dry hop it. Drop it even further below that fermentation temperature question mark. Like maybe 40 degrees or is that too cold? So there's a, a, a few different factors going on here. And, and note, and I am going to, I am going to make this, this caveat here. Amy is saying that, I believe that's Amy. Amy is saying that she is making an IPL. So we are not talking about a cold IPA right here. We're talking about an IPL. Um, some of the primary differences is um, an IPL doesn't necessarily use a high percentage of adjunct grains. It is typically fermented cooler. Um, some A lot of times cold IPA will be uh, lager yeast fermented at warmer temperatures or ale yeast fermented at cooler temperatures. So uh, let's let's check this out. Kind of one of the reasons when, when people are talking about what to do with dry hop in, in a scenario like this, a lot of times people like to try to get the yeast out of solution. Sometimes people are doing post-fermentation dry hops. And when you want to do that, potentially you want to you want to drop that temperature down a little bit because it helps you helps you get some of that yeast out of suspension. It can by doing that you can potentially mitigate or slow uh, mitigate some of the risk of hot creep. So a lot of times people want to get that yeast off of there. And so on some level, this is a little bit of a flocculation question. And, I, and I've had this I've had this question myself too, because on the pro side or even the home side, depending on what your equipment is like, I want to be able to harvest yeast off of a batch that I'm dry hopping, right? Because I want to keep that, I want to keep that strain going so I don't have to continue to buy more yeast. I can save money, uh, reap the benefits of uh, quality yeast yields, yeast health, things like that. So on some level, we're talking about flocculation with a question like this. So when fermenting a lager in the 50s, what do you, how far down do you have to drop it to kind of get that starting to drop? So I went ahead and I looked at some great information on the Y yeast, on the Y yeast website. And, and we're going to talk about two factors here when it comes to flocculation, especially with lagers. So first of all, they say temperature. Optimum flocculation temperature can vary between strains. And when you think about it, that kind of makes sense. There's enough variation between different strains that that would make sense. Research trials of lager strains have shown flocculation to be optimal at 50 degrees Fahrenheit, 10 degrees C, and significantly decreased below 41F. Flocculation for one lager strain increased when temperature was raised from 41F up to 77F. In other research trials, flocculation was repressed at 77 and optimal at 41. By lowering the fermentation temperature, the CO2 production by the yeast is diminished, 
causing less turbulence and will promote sedimentation. Good record keeping will help to determine the optimum temperature range. So there's a little bit of a it depends type answer. But it looks like it's something you can play around with. I would try crashing that beer down to around 41 and seeing how that does, seeing if that helps to drop that yeast out for you so you can harvest and then dry hop from there. I wouldn't have an issue dry hopping at 41. I, I do know Scott Janish is talking about dry hopping at 38 and potentially even below, again, Fahrenheit. He does also vigorously rouse those fermenters with high volume CO2 gauges that he will uh, blast CO2 through the bottom of those tanks. So he does a vigorous rouse as well. But let's also look at pH as a factor. Flocculation is influenced by the wort pH. Flocculation can occur in a broad range of 2.5 to 9.0. Optimum range is 3.5 to 4.8 and will vary by strain. Brewing strains of the, uh, I'm not going to jump into that. It's talking about a specific strain or variant that they have. Um, as, far, as far as this goes, I mean, it says optimum range is between 3.5 and 4.8. Quite frankly, I think most of the things that you're making are gonna, going to be in that range anyways. And even for food safety, you're going to want to see that. Probably, I, I believe the food safety line is around four or five. Um, don't quote me on that. You can Google it if you need to uh, officially write it in on a test or something like that. But that's really what you're going to be looking at. So, and, and, and beer yeast is going to get you there more times than not, as long as your pH starting points aren't all jacked up coming out of the mash or coming out of the kettle. All right. So kind of keeping those two things in mind, looking at maybe testing around 41 for dropping that for, for an IPL type beer. You want to get that lager yeast to flock out before you dry hop. And then just kind of, it, it doesn't seem like pH, especially in what you're going to be typically doing with lager beers, there's probably going to be typically right in the, right in the, the, the four or five range for those lagers. But um, it is it is pH is still something to to keep an eye on. But I would recommend looking at dropping that down to 41, getting that yeast harvest off and then dumping what is left of the yeast slash trube and then hitting that thing up with a dry hop. And I would consider rousing that fermenter if you're doing this at home and you have a small enough fermenter that you can rouse that fermenter by hand. That's great. You know, back if, if you're using a bucket or a carboy, you can slosh it around, whatever. That's cool. People are fermenting in corny kegs, which is awesome. You can you can toss that upside down for a second. You know, uh, all, all those good things. Uh, but yeah, that would be my recommendation on how to uh, flock out lager yeast prior to a dry hop when making IPL. Question. Coming in from the great and powerful Spunding und Wirt. I, I will say this. I believe that Spunding has become one of the, it's one of the, the inside jokes of our, of our, of our little click here. The pronunciation of that word. Uh, I, I've begun to have people comment in questions or or in the comments and just type in spoonding with with all caps. So 
I'm all for that stuff. So you 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 just keep on running. You just keep on running up the the Adam makes beer um, inside jokes. All right. It is spoonding time. I'm I'm glad you I'm I'm glad you mentioned that spoonding and vote. Speaking of lagers, fest beer specifically. Are you a darkish fest beer guy or light colored? I have an appreciation for both of them. My thought is, I I tend to like I, I tend to want to make the 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 paler one, and my approach on it is a little bit more like viewing it like a super hellas, not as in like uh, really high ABV. But when I was doing what I one of like a, a golden interpretation of the style uh, i i've done a beer called panzer at cartridge which was a more you know more of a golden take on that beer i really like it i think sometimes pardon me i think sometimes in a world of darker oktoberfest beers you know amber and even maybe even a little bit beyond amber Sometimes that golden fest beer, which is, I, I believe, more of the modern take on it, is is a little bit more sessionable, a little bit more approachable. My take on that when I was making Panzer would be to be like a, a, a 1057, maybe finishing out in the high fives, maybe five seven, rather than like 18 or 20 IBU, like I would throw in a Hellas. I would beef that up to maybe like, maybe that was like 25, 27, something like that maybe a, a little bit of noble hop later in the character and nothing that's going to bowl you over or anything like that, but just a little bit more robust. Uh, it's like Hellas with, with a little bit more ABV, a little bit more color. I would have to go back and look at that. I think maybe it was a blend of pills and maybe I had some uh, Vienna in there too. I was just talking to, uh, a good buddy of mine about this and and let me see if let me see if i can pull this up real quick yeah my take on this beer used to be uh doing the paler version i would do 75 percent barca pills 18 percent wireman munich 2 six percent carahel and really just a small splash it was a pound and a half out of 650 pounds so it was next to nothing just a pound and a half of carafa special two maybe just a little hair of color there and then i did have a total of 28 ibu in that beer i did splash it up a little bit late which may be a little bit non-traditional but i got 14 of my ibu in that beer from my uh, edition of uh, magnum or warrior at 60 minutes and then I had a 10-minute edition of Tet Tetnanger uh, for 5 IBU. And I had a Whirlpool edition of Saz for 9 IBU. So that was a that was a fun one, man. I really I, I really enjoyed that beer. And uh, you know, I think it, yeah, like I said, it finished out at 5.7, um, higher fives. So I do, I, I do really enjoy that. But I will say this: I, I think sometimes those Oktoberfest beers can get a little too big, a little too sweet, a little too aggressive. We're doing uh, a beer right now called Matrix, uh, which we just dropped in cans. If you are following me on Instagram, you just saw a very high quality uh, reel that I just dropped today on that. But it's a, it's kind of. 
I mean, it's, it's on the other side of golden, but it's not like deep amber either. You know what I mean? It, it's it's kind of a tweener. So it, it, is a, it is a darker take on that style. I like that as well because you can fold in a little bit more toasty. In this beer, I do use some of the German caramelized malts. I would have to go back and look in particular, but I, I'm it's all Weiermann. And so I'm using there, I believe off the top of my head, there's some Kara Red in that beer and some something else. Uh maybe Kara Munich, some some Kara Munich in there. But but a not a super aggressive hand with it. And uh and and I like that too. I'm I'm kind of a I'm kind of a sucker. I'm kind of a sucker for both of them, but they're they're two different beers. I though like I feel as if in my mind, and and maybe this isn't you know, super according to guideline, but in my mind, I want that, I want that, that Meritzen darker Oktoberfest to be, I don't know, I want that mid fives. And I only want like 20 to 25 IBU in there. I, I don't want to be at the, the, the bigger end of that spectrum. Um, I feel like when I, if I, if I keep the IBU uh, restrained, I can reduce the finishing gravity in the beer because if there's if there's a higher finishing gravity in the beer then i need more bitterness to balance it and and i think that's one of the real keys to balance when, when especially when when you're making lager and really anything but but lager in particular because there there's nothing to it you know what i mean it's 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 the simplicity of the ingredients so um yeah and then i i feel like the the you know, the, the paler one I, I see as a little bit hoppier. Again, don't think IPA, but just like light splashes late, maybe a little bit more bitter. Um, so I like that one to be a little bit more poppy on that side. And then for me, the, the, the darker version of it, I like it to be a little bit darker, a little bit less bitter, but also keep that residual sweetness down on that Merton style or that darker Oktoberfest style so that beer doesn't get cloying. I still want you to be able to crush liters of that beer like this these are literally beers that are consumed in liters right and so you really have to be thinking about balance with them so that is my take on that spunding und wird thank you for the question next question is from my man curtis browse on youtube thanks for the great response in this case it's just pub side and going to some bars, but definitely something to keep in mind if canning in the future. I was also toying around with the idea of splitting the dry hop. So obviously he was referencing a question that we had been talking about uh, before, and then he's branching off from it. I was also toying around with the idea of splitting the dry hop, doing the first half towards the, towards the last portion of fermentation, toward the last plate or two of fermentation, a long diacetyl rest, like five days, then doing a soft crash to 56 and dropping the yeast for the second dry hop. The theory being the first dry hop can convert some of those long chain sugars to short chain for the yeast to consume, making it even less likely that hop creep were to happen by doing this cold side dry hop. Come here, Ben. You want to say good night? Come here. Good night. I love you. You can say hi to everybody. Look, look over here. You want to say good night? Good night. <laughs> I love you. You're fine. 
That's Ben, boy. He was. <laughs> if you're not an Instagram guy, but you just want adorable kid content, there is enough. Uh, there, there's uh, sporadic adorable kid content on my Instagram page, uh, and that that has to that flows primarily through him. But jumping back here. Just a theory, though, and I'll have to put it into practice and see how it actually works. That's awesome that Omega is working on an ALDC yeast. If that's successful, it could really take care of this whole issue. So, yeah, we, we were talking about ALDC in ways that you can use that to prevent, uh, you know, the some of the troubling effects of hop creep like diacetyl, especially in the package, um, in can, in keg. Um and so he was talking about what if he did his first dry hop to maybe kind of get that all over with, get the hop creep done, and then go back later with with with, with a larger charge. I think it's worth I, I think it's worth trying out. I haven't I, I haven't mentioned as much I, I haven't played with this stuff as much. And so sometimes I feel a little bit a little bad giving an answer on something like this. But sometimes when when I when I call this stuff out, I'm I'm calling it out because I I also want to help teach thought process, right? Or or like not teach, but like I, I want to model the thought process that I'll use. There, there's been a few questions that I've done over the past year where it's a question not so and and it's not so much that I have an answer or a take on it. But it's a little bit more that I like the thought process. You know, the idea here is is maybe you can get that hot creep out of the way with a with a smaller charge, and maybe hold on to you know get get that done, and then hit it with more hop later at a cooler temp once you pull yeast off, and maybe that that would have benefit to that beer. I like it because the concepts are solid enough from what I understand. And it's one of those things where I'm going to say, go ahead and try it and, and let me know, let, let me know how it goes. Um, so yeah, I, I would be really interested, Curtis, if, if, if you went ahead and, and check that out and, and were able to, to, to report back on how that stuff goes. So anyways, uh, thanks for the, thanks for the question. Uh, keep us in the loop and, and maybe we can all learn something from it. Huh. Let me see. Matt Wares, what's your take on Baltic Porter ferment with ale or lager yeast? I think I remember reading that you could use an ale yeast, but actually ferment at lager temps. Please, please correct me if I'm wrong. You have some options here. I personally think uh, you can get away with doing baltic porter with a really clean ale strain uh fermenting it cooler so uh you know think like uh a chico type strain 05 you know 001 something like that but let's i i would jump up that pitching rate to something closer to lager temperatures and maybe start fermenting it at 58 or 60 make sure you have a good healthy pitch of yeast if you're brewing on the home side, please make sure you're growing up an appropriate starter. If you are brewing on the pro side, get a get a batch of beer under that thing. You know, prop that 
prop that yeast pitch up um, and, and get a nice harvest off of it and maybe pitch more at lager, uh, at lager rates than you would at ale rates and throw that thing at it. I think cleanest yet would be using a, a clean lager strain um, and you can do that too. I have also done with, I, I would consider a fair amount of success. I did a Baltic Porter that I was pretty pleased with that cartridge. I did that with a repitch off of a coal strain. And so uh, that coal strain kind of remains one of those, one of those hybrid strains, one of those technically, I believe in ale yeast that you can be fermenting at cooler temperatures, more lager like temperatures. So you can ferment that thing at 58. So I've done that with, with, with coal strain as well. Um, so I, I would, I would check it out on, on both fronts. Um, I don't think you're, I think historically you're probably looking lager yeast. Um, but I, I think there's some wiggle room there. And I think sometimes you can get a little caught up with a beer like that. If you want to be super tra traditional, do lager yeast. If, if you, if you feel like playing around, wanting to stretch uh, a pitch of yeast that you have, and knowing full well, like, I mean, if, if you're not worried about competition or, or you're not worried about doing the most historical thing all the time, that's, uh, I mean, you know, it is what it is, you know, fire up, fire it up with some, fire it up with some Chico or some, some cold strain. Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my take on, on all, all that mess as far as Baltic Porter goes. Uh, thank you for the question, Matt Wares. Next question. And actually, Matt, he says, maybe I'll split a batch and ferment one with ale and one with lager and see which one I like better. Yeah, definitely, man. Do that. Chris Neff, love you. Happy birthday, brother. I miss you a lot as well. I miss you a lot as well. Yeah, and I, I think I, I think Spunding uh, Unvert has, has a, a good point there as well, where he says he believes that it'll give that delicate that delicate note authentic baltic porter does actually have yeah i, I think there's I, I think there's a i think there's a lot to be said about that absolutely absolutely uh chris no you did not miss the uh lager pitch question i believe i i i was compiling this list the other day let me let me see where you're at i have them all i have them all printed off yeah dude i've got uh, i've got that coming up uh, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be in about a half hour. So yeah, <laughs> actually, you know what? I'm throwing caution to the wind. I'm throwing caution to the wind. Next question is from Chris S on Instagram. Question for the next live stream. Double batching lagers. Do you brew full volume in one day and pitch accordingly? Or can you brew over two days and pitch day one for half volume like you would for ales or should you pitch full volume worth day one and top up worth the next day great question man and i i think you and you hit it on the head and the, the conversations that i have had with imperial with the folks in the lab at imperial i just bought a pitch of yeast for a 30 barrel batch of beer and it was an ale and it was chico uh, US 05, uh, 001, you know, what have you, American Alias Chico. 
and they recommended that I buy a 15 barrel pitch because I do 15 barrel turns and I was going to be brewing on consecutive days. So Monday was going to get 15 barrels of wort and Tuesday was going to get 15 barrels of wort. They recommended me purchasing a 15, a standard 15 barrel pitch um, and that and then running into it on the second day with no additional yeast um, that worked quite well. Now, there's some differences here, though, when it comes to ale yeast and lager yeast. As with most chemical reactions, which ferment, which fermentation is, it's a process, right? Chemical process. It tends to happen faster at warmer temperatures. And so you will see the lag phase, yeast growth, and then yeast consumption or, or uh, sugar consumption by the yeast start to happen in a smaller time frame than you will with lager yeast. And in large part, that is due to, that is a temperature driven thing. There's other factors as well, pitching rate, oxygenation, everything like that. But we're, we're just going to talk generally, right? So when you're talking about, I'm going to do a double turn, a two times turn of lager, where I brew half one day and half the next, it doesn't necessarily mean the same thing though, right? Because you could still be at a at an earlier stage and not actually benefit from that starter-like or that growth effect that would be happening in the 24 hours between brew days. I think you can depend on that happening with your ale strain because it's happening, you know, in the in the mid-upper 60s. Lager yeast, though, you might not get there. So I personally lean toward getting the full-size pitch. Um, so if you're targeting a 30-barrel batch and you're doing 15 barrels from one day to the next, um, I would feel very safe just getting the 30 and pitching into that. Now, however, here's some here's some other options. If you're if if you're feeling if you're feeling if you're feeling gutsy, right? And and you can do some digging too. I, I'd also I'd also encourage you to reach out to to the yeast lab that you're purchasing from. But I would say I would say there's there's some options. Depending on how flexible you are with your lager fermentation and pitching profile, I have done this and I have had good results with this. I have with lagers I have pitched warm, okay? So I had run off the first batch at 55 and I held it at 55 overnight. And then when I ran in the second portion of the wort, I ran it in at 50 and I set my jacket down to 50. And so then the full batch fermentation starts at 50 degrees. Now, the reason I suggest potentially looking at having that first 24 hours be at 55 is elevating that temperature may actually help your yeast grow in that time frame because as that temperature increases, the activity tends to follow it. That timeline tends to shrink, right? So that's, that's one possibility. You could do that. And I've done that. And I've done that with, with, I mean, success. I've had, I've had loggers, um, when metals that I've, that I've done with that approach. Um, so it's, it's something, it's something to check out. 
also you could look at um like maybe a tweener pitch which i'm not as big on i would say you know i don't know if, if you can if you ordered like a 20 or 22 barrel pitch or something like that it would save you some money i i tend more toward if you're going to do that with that lager and, and you're going to try that that 15 barrel pitch or something like that or if you have a pitch that you maybe don't have as much volume as you would optimally like um, see if you can run that thing in a little bit warmer on day one and then bring it back down with with the second uh, volume of work on day two. Uh, that's that's my take on that stuff, Chris. So I would actually love to hear what you end up doing and how that worked out for you, because I have had success handling yeast with my lagers that way. So, yes. Cheers, buddy. Next question is from Stephen Stiles. Stephen says, <laughs> I've heard to harvest yeast prior to a cold crash. Thoughts on that? And then I have a note to myself, dig into the top crop stuff. If you have not checked out Omega Yeast, their newsletter called Top Crop, you are slipping. You're going to want to jump on there and sign up for that. They have a lot of great, a lot of great stuff every month. It, it's super interesting. They are doing tons of stuff on the uh, genetic modification side. So you want to dig in and, and see what they have coming. They always have new products coming out as far as that goes. But I just looked at an article on this because when we're talking about one of the problems of these of of these heavily hopped New England style beers that that a lot of us are brewing is from a production standpoint, a lot of us like to get that dry hop in there um, on the warm side still um, to let hop creep actually do what it's going to do um, and try to avoid some issues in the package later on. But how do you get an appropriate crop off of that when you are not crashing your temperature down? So I'm actually going to read to you an excerpt of this article on how they're suggesting harvesting when we're working with these juicy strains and, and essentially warm side, warm side uh, harvesting. Thanks, Chris. Whenever, uh, whether you're starting from a dry or liquid yeast culture, both can give you opportunity to harvest and repitch. Some of the benefits of reusing yeast include cost savings and better and more reliable yeast performance. However, a warning, any issue in the initial batch of yeast will carry over into subsequent generations. So if the yeast isn't in good shape, the next generation may suffer as well. Again, this is on from Top Crop. So go ahead and, and, and sign up for that. Dry hopping can be a major stressor for yeast. And pitching yeast from beers that have been dry hopped is a no-go. That doesn't mean there aren't ways around it! Exclamation point. Here are a few tips to get you started. While this is not necessarily what we recommend, it's very difficult to do early dry hopping if you're planning to repitch yeast. If you intend to reuse yeast from your early dry hop beer, you've got to harvest the yeast during croisin. 
Jessica Young, formerly of Bearded Iris in Nashville, Tennessee, developed the cereal repitching method. Effectively, you're harvesting two days after you brew, so you need to be brewing very regularly to make this work when early dry hopping. Now, there, there are some red flags with early dry hopping. If it works for you, that's great. But when you're dry hopping by like day two, uh, Omega has a lot of research that says the more you push that dry hop out to like day seven, the more haze, the more uh, hop compound positive haze you're going to be having in your finished beer. Okay. Um, so just, just, just keep that in mind. You can actually sometimes be pulling a clearer beer with, with early dry hopping. This is the most effective time. Uh, oh, wait, did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Back to the article. This is the most effective time for harvesting and definitely what we recommend. Wait until you get a good harvest on the tank and then dry hop so you can reuse the yeast. When you're already investing a lot in hops, repitching your yeast is a good way to make those investments work for you and keep costs down. Generally, you'll want to time your harvest when viability is still high and enough yeast has collected at the bottom of the cone. So there's those two, those two functions right there. Close to terminal gravity, there is a great time to harvest from the cone. There is a sweet spot right as the fermentation is approaching terminal when you can harvest yeast and still then dry hop after when, the, oh, oh, and still dry hop when the yeast is active. This can help encourage hop creep to occur faster. Keep in mind that the initial burst from the cone is true and potentially a small amount of dead yeast cells. Keep a close eye on the color and consistency of what is coming down the line to make sure you grab the healthy yeast slurry and be sure to draw the slurry and be sure not to draw the slurry too quickly or you will punch through straight to beer. Uh, the big takeaways here, keep track of your fermentation data and strive for consistency. It might take adjusting your repitching schedule to new yeast or a new dry hopping approach, but these tips should definitely help you get started and harvest with harvesting liquid yeast. The overall goal is to have the healthy and predictable fermentations and save money while you are at it. Uh, cool, cool little stuff in here, and and they're really saying that you, you know you do want some yeast activity that is going to help you get through yeast uh, hop creep faster. But that, that big pinch point is always when to harvest that. So, so maybe look at that when, when you're kind of looking at, you know, one to a half Play-Doh left in that ferment to get your harvest right there. Now, it does say to be mindful that you're not, you know, kind of harvesting the dregs, the dead yeast, uh, probably hot matter um, and, and different things like that. But remember, if, if you plug into some of the other episodes that we did on cone shaving, um, a lot of that can be taken care of ahead of time. So jump back and check out the, the cone shaving stuff, especially when it comes to making IPA and hazy IPA. So who had my question right there? Steven Stiles. Uh, thanks for the question, man. Hopefully that is a help when it comes to that. Apparently there are some options. And hey, listen, that comes from Omega. And they, they do use for a living. So so maybe give that a shot. Uh, dig into this article and, and look at the stuff on Top Crop. They, they have some really good stuff on there. Next question is from Lewis on YouTube. Thank you for your analysis of the brewing industry. Not only do I wholeheartedly agree, but I've lived it. 
I was a professional brewer for 12 years, landed my first gig right out of college with a relevant education. My salary never amounted to anything that was sustainable. Sure, it was an incredibly rewarding job, but I realized it could no longer define me, especially since I met my wife and there was no way I could raise a family on a brewer's salary. My advice to brewers who feel trapped, you are well-versed in the manufacturing process. It doesn't matter if it is brewing or chemical or food production. The philosophy of manufacturing is the same. As a brewer, you are experienced uh, in aseptic techniques, CIP systems, mechanically inclined, and a ton of other soft skills that are marketable enough for a new profession. It did take me nearly 10 years to find my new passion, and I learned a lot more in other manufacturing industries, but it was all worth it. My family and I are not struggling. I have brewing to thank for where I am now in my career. I look back on with fondness, uh, but it is in my past. I find a new career takes time and it will not be the may not will not be the first one after brewing to seize opportunity when it pre presents itself. I, I, I like this take quite a bit. And I, I do think that as pros uh, on the pro side, you can kind of feel as if, well, maybe you're kind of stuck or hemmed in. Um, and, and I think that there's a, a lot of good points uh, brought up right here. You know, there, there are options on, on the manufacturing side. Lewis brings this up. I think it's cool that he's still listening to, to, to beer content on YouTube. Shout, shout out to you, Lewis. That's cool. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and it kind of goes back to what, what I was talking about a, a little bit, but you know, I mean, if, if you're really, really unhappy what you're doing and you know, the, your, your boss is you know, making your life miserable and stuff like that, you know, dude, pursue something else. And just to clarify something, I'm not just saying quit, but like find another job and then leave. And yes, yeah, sometimes finding a job can be hard, but you, you can grind it out. You can do it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, th thanks for writing in on that. Um, Lewis, uh, I, appreciate, I, I appreciate that perspective. Uh, and and that, was, that, that was some good stuff. Thank you. Ah, that's a good question. Spunding und Wut. How do you feel about the fact that as pro brewers, we are expected to create something entirely new? Almost every month slash season. Something the food and wine industry doesn't have to contend with. Wine doesn't have to, that's for sure. Maybe I can be a little bit more... Uh, compassionate with the uh, with the food side, maybe people wanting different specials and whatnot. I don't know. You know, I mean, my thought on it is, if you're a guy that doesn't mind slinging around fruit and and everything like that, it makes it easier. If you're if you're one that doesn't mind, you know, throwing you know throwing Lucky Charms in a beer, you're in luck. Um, you know, I mean, the, the more, the, the more of a, the more inclined you are to throwing adjuncts into a beer, the easier it is, the more, the more of a stylistic history driven type brewer, the, the, the more you're cut from that cloth, the, the harder it can be, you know? Um, but I mean, it kind of is what it is in, in one way, I would say it's almost like it, it might be an opportunity, even if you are that that style focused person, that style focused brewer. 
maybe i mean there, there's range to the style right you're used to your wheelhouse with a style you know may, maybe potentially think about pushing yourself a little bit and and trying to uh hit a different portion of the style that maybe you don't necessarily prefer because as brewers we tend to brew the 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 version of the style the way we like it you know what i mean because the, there is a little bit of range you know um with, with, with different beers they're with different beer styles there is a little bit of range so um i don't know maybe test yourself a little bit by pushing uh pushing up or down within that within that style limit and and kind of pushing yourself that way but yeah so next question is from x grind on youtube adam i see a lot of people using pectin enzyme or pectic enzyme on these fruit beers would biofine not work just as well at clearing up all these beers? I don't think so. And the the reason is, is that biofine, to my knowledge, does not act on pectin. Now, there might be a there there might be a brewer out there that uses tons of puree and they all they use is biofine and it's bulletproof and it's great and the beers come out crystal clear. That's awesome. That that may not be. Uh, happy birthday to you, Brooke family. Thanks. Love you guys. And but that pectic enzyme, uh, what will typically happen is so, so think about um, it's like little fibrous material inside fruit, right? Um, you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's literally what it is. And so a lot of times it can create a hazen beer and actually be a tactile thing. It's actually like contributes to the body of the beer. You can use that to your advantage, um, depending on what you're trying to brew. But anyhow, um, like I think, for instance, if uh, if you want to make uh, like fruited hazy type beers, I love using high high pectin beers and or high, high pectin fruits in in beers that I want to be hazy because it helps contribute to it. So, um, but yeah, if, if you do want to be making a clear fruit beer and you are using puree, which is going to have the, the, the pectin still, uh, still in there, you can use a pectic enzyme. The one I use is the one that you can get from Brewer Supply Group. You add it. I add it to the brink. I have a clean and sanitized and purged brink that I, I pour my fruit into. Um, I purge it out. And then I push that into the fermenter with CO2. Um, I do add that enzyme into that fruit, into that puree before it's being pushed into the tank. So please, uh, yeah, please consider that as a way that that you can be doing it. That, but that's how they recommend on on that particular enzyme. So check that stuff out. I do think it helps. Sometimes it's still a finicky mess, though, man. And, and I do hit those beers with Biofine, anyways. Those fruit beers because. That's going to help more on the yeast side. But uh, the research that I did on this was actually a reference to um, uh, some discussion in Milk the Funk on Facebook. Um, it is a uh, sour beer, funky beer uh, wiki, basically. And uh, they, had some, they, they had some folks on there talking about how Biofine will not uh, pull uh, pectic, uh, a pectic haze. So anyways... Um, that's that's kind of my take on that. X grind. Thank you for the question. Next question is from Indie Kid UK on YouTube. 
If you had a dedicated Whirlpool tank, would you put the hops in before you pump in the wort or would you fill the tank, add the hops and start the Whirlpool? Basically, I was wondering if the action of the Whirlpool would create a hop cone that would limit hop utilization because of being tightly packed into a cone. So what we're talking about here is we're talking about more of like a, a, a three vessel system. I have my my rig is basically like a oh it's a it's an over under so it's mash ton uh mash louder ton on top of my hot liquor tank and then i have a kettle that serves as my kettle slash whirlpool sometimes there is a third tank involved which is the whirlpool where when you go flame out or steam off or heat off your kettle you rapidly drop that warp into a secondary uh, secondary whirlpool vessel. Usually the geometry of it is specific to optimal work clarification, uh, cone formation, things like that. Uh, so you can separate clear work from uh, troube hops and the like. So the question that Indie UK Kid has is, am, am I worried about those hops and when they should be going in? Um, just off the top of my head, what I would be doing is, is as soon as I had, as soon as I had that bottom starting to fill up, um, I would, and, and I guess it, it comes down to, too, how much is, is there like a pump that's driving that or driving that whirlpool and that whirlpool vessel? If there is, um, I, I just wouldn't stack all the hops up in, in it dry maybe that would work just fine. And then, you know, pumping the hot work through, it'll break them right down or whatever. Um, but yeah, I would kind of, I would kind of take the approach that I use with, with, with my Whirlpool, which is just shared with the, the kettle. It's not a separate vessel, but I would make sure there's, there's liquid in the bottom um, and there's rotation. Um, and I would kind of spread them out as it goes to kind of facilitate that pellet breakdown process. Um, but, you're, you're kind of talking about like that stuff is just going to really form a clump in the center, like a really tight cone and, and potentially uh, really hamper utilization. Um, I don't think that's going to be an issue, especially if you have uh, any pace on that work going in there. Um, I, I do understand your concern of that balling up because when I add ha hops to my Whirlpool, I don't just take, because sometimes I have like a 15 barrel system. And so, you know, I'll have 15 to 20 pounds of hops going into the Whirlpool. So I, but I just don't splash them all at once. And like, I kind of, I kind of pour them in, shake the bucket into that outer rim that's spinning the fastest of the work. I kind of do that just so I don't get clumps. Um, so you can take an approach uh, a, a little bit like that as well. Um, so yeah, we have the, uh, we have the wonderful, uh, Maggie Clark in the chat. Uh, Adam, what is your favorite brewery music genre to bump in the brewery? And she wished me a happy birthday as well. Well, listen, girl, you know, I'll give you the update. I have just started utilizing my list of liked songs. I am not a Spotify subscriber, so I don't pay. I just have free Spotify, but I've started to use my liked songs playlist. And I, I, sometimes I swear that I'm just like a newborn and I've never experienced anything before. I know I'm playing the like playlist, but every song that comes on, I just start screaming. I'm like, Josh, do you hear this man? Did nothing, but nothing but bangers. Um, so 
I mean, yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised by the fact that I love all the songs on my loved list. But anyway, so what has been on there lately? Mag, I've been, I've been, I mean, anything, we've had some bamboo on there. We have had, Josh is very pro bamboo, by the way. Um, we've had some bamboo on there. There's been a fair amount of Rufus Wainwright popping over uh, the the speaker. We have had a some Tom Waits coming through too, man. And we had some, uh, I don't know, man, just, I mean, that that's kind of been the spearheading it right there. There's a little bit of Morrissey and Smith's mixed in my, my kids, my teenage kids are starting to get into, uh, the Smith's and my old Morrissey CDs because the, the car that they drive only has a CD player and the radio doesn't work. So they're like using old CDs, uh, and so they're they're getting, and then they're explaining to me why why Morrissey's funny, which I cracks me up. They're like, "Dad, you need to listen to this." So, and I'm like, "Yeah." So, now nah, that's beautiful. That that that's a cool thing. But um, but yeah, we've been mixing it up. It's it's always funny though because there are Christmas music. There is Christmas music in that list as well, just because it's things I've liked. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a little hit or miss. When we are in July, when the Christmas music comes on, Josh says it was okay because of Christmas in July, but we're not um but we're not uh but we're not there anymore. It's August first, ladies and gents. So he told me I have to fast forward the the Christmas songs. But sometimes a little old doo wop in there, some flamingos, um, some uh platters, a little Bobby Darren. I mean you know, Amy's in there too. You know, Amy's in there too. So uh, <laughs> I'm seeing some new people in the chat. Sippy, welcome, man. What's your opinion on cheese sandwiches? I'm pro cheese, man. Pro cheese. You you, you have a hard time finding someone who is staunchly uh, as pro cheese as I am. Uh, Vincent, uh, I'm going to say Cento. If it's Cento, I mean I'm wrong, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with my gut and say it's Vincent Cento. Uh, common for breweries to have one or two base recipes for IPA slash double IPAs, and really only really differentiate through the dry hop choice. I feel it is, and it's a dirty secret in the industry. Happy birthday, thanks, brother. Uh, yeah, man, I think uh, yeah, I think that's pretty common. <laughs> I mean, basically any, any, it's what I do. And, and I mean, to me, it's, it's, I don't think it has to be a dirty secret. I mean, all you're doing with that malt bill for, especially the way I prefer IPA, I, I don't, and whether it's, whether it's West coast or whatever, um, I don't want, I don't want anything showing other than it's to me, those beers are there. You are featuring hops in those beers so i like to have the malt get out of the way with a with a new with a new england style malt build um that malt build is meant to facilitate hop flavor and aroma so i just run with it and then yeah then you then you mix up your your whirlpool hops your dry hop different things like that you know you can you can tweak those things around and one of the other variables with that style too is you know even whirlpool temp so, but yeah, it is kind of, yeah, you might be able to call a little dirty little secret, but, but I do it for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, yeah, 
and I'll tweak it up and down. You know what I mean? So for me, almost always when I go from like, uh, I take whatever the IPA is. And when I make an imperial version, I just add 150 pounds of dextrose to it or 10, 10 to 15 to 20% dextrose. And because I still like those IPAs like drinkable, even when they're double IPAs, I, I don't want to be drinking a barley wine. I don't want to drinking a 9% hoppy barley wine. I'd rather drink a 9% beer that has the body of a six or 7% beer because you can, you can keep drinking those. But, um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, that, that's my take on that. Uh, Vincent, uh, thanks for the question, dude. Next question is from Brett Sparrow on YouTube. What's your ratio between grain and fruit when making fruit beers? This was a question on the brew day for making fuse, which was our rotating fruit beer handle at cartridge. Again, if you have not checked out, we've got to have 15, 20 full brew days um, on the YouTube page. So jump into the playlist and you're going to see those in there. Dig around in there. But uh, what I do and and it says, what is the ratio between grain and fruit? Um, I, I'm going to take it in this direction. I'm going to look at like how much how much fruit do I use uh, per volume, really? Um, so. Uh, anyways, when I'm making a 15 barrel batch of beer, I typically, uh, which means, which comes down to 465 gallons or uh, 1760 liters for those metric people out there. I use, uh, I use about 500 pounds of fruit in 15 barrels. So that comes down to uh, like one point almost 1.1 pounds of fruit uh, per gallon, uh, if you were going to look at it like that, or uh, 228 kilograms of fruit per uh, 1,760 liters. So that's what I like to do. For me, I use 12 boxes. It's the 42-pound boxes from, from – they're all 42-pound boxes, basically. But, yeah, that's 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 – what I do there. And that's typically, uh, what I add. I do like adding at the tail end of fermentation to ferment that out. I do not like adding puree. Um, and we're talking about puree in this instance, I do not like adding puree to finished beer for stability reasons. And then I also like to doctor those up with, uh, a, a, a small dash of high quality TTB approved, uh, natural extract. So yeah, I, I think that because when you ferment that fruit out, I think you kind of need, if you get a quality extract, it, it can just kind of lift to your nose um, and, and be good. So um, because you can kind of lose that intensity sometimes with fermented fruit. So thank you for your question, Brett Sparrow. I'm going to turn this light on and see what happens. I have a shadow going across my face that I don't like. I like this better. So, and the other thing was when I stood up, I, I went for a run today after work. And when I stood up, I didn't know if I was going to be able to stand all the way. And so if I shuffled away like an old man, <laughs> that might be, uh, that might be the deal. So, yeah. Uh, Jay Atwater 
happy birthday. Thank you very much. I need to crash cool a lager in my uni tank. It is at one bar currently. Should I apply additional CO2 while it crashes? I, I wouldn't think so. One bar is one bar is at least 12 PSI, or is it? Let me let me double check this. This is this is a question I'm getting on the fly, folks. I would usually um I would usually have this Googled ahead of time. So yeah, one one bar is 14 and a half PSI. That's absolutely enough pressure on the tank uh, to to crash that in my experience. Um, crashing something from even even the the low 70s uh, down to t 33, uh, it, it should in no way uh, it, it should in no way uh, eat all of that or contract enough. Um, but if you're nervous, um, you know, worst case scenario, you can uh, put a little head pressure on it, you know. Um, if you want that 14 PS PSI on there, um, or that one bar still on there, but, you know, put, put, you know, hook gas up to it, just like you would a serving tank or something like that. And then crash it from there. You know, that really might be the safest, uh, the, the safest way to do that in case you maybe, you know, had, had a, a, a leak in the tank or something like that. I don't know. That's, that sounds crazy. So anyways, but yeah, that, that would, that, that's kind of the way that you can do that. So uh appreciate the question man who was that again jay hopefully that hopefully that's got you taken care of cowboy brewer your opinion on head pressure versus carb stone for carbonating in a unitank head pressure takes longer i think it's better i think it it's it's not exactly the same as uh spoonding or spunding but uh, i do believe you get a finer foam out of it and I believe it's not stripping the CO2 through the liquid, potentially diminishing those single-use form, those single-use foam-positive proteins that are available in your beer. So, yeah, I, I think uh, that that's what I prefer. The problem is is time. If you if you're like in this luxurious situation where you can head pressure it for, you know, uh, ten days, uh, two weeks, whatever it takes. Um, for you to get that uh, CO2 pressure up appropriately, then that's great, man. Run it like that. So, yeah. Uh, next question comes from Jay Sinsaniac on YouTube. So how do we keep Trube and bad stuff out of the fermenters? Most home brewers don't have centrifuges or anything a lot fancier than sieves. I thought Trube was mostly coagulated protein and was food for yeast. Nay, um, it's not nay, man. Um, I, you know, I, I've also, I, I've also read that yes, Trube can, uh, can play a role, have some, uh, I, I believe some potentially fermentation positive things as far as lipids go. I could be wrong on that. Don't hold me to it, but big picture, there are positive fermentation, uh, contributions that, uh, kind of from a nutrient standpoint that Trube can provide. However, it's probably a lot less than 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 what you're thinking it is. Um, you know, even you know, you can strain it. When I was brewing at home, I had the funnel that had like the fine mesh plastic, and I would I would run through that. I don't think you need to go out of your way. Um, you know, uh, any more than any more than that. Um, you know, some people do spin their, uh, spin their work, you know, you can get increased volume out of it one. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I think though that news when when that word started to get out that that true could actually have positive fermentation effects. I think that's when everybody was just like, dude, just dump it all in. It's all good. <laughs> there might be there, there might be uh, some middle ground between that and that. Again, if you're just dumping it all at home and you're balling out and you're, you're doing the same thing on the pro side and just everything from the kettles going in and you're loving your beer, that's great. Uh, keep running it. Um, but there, there, there might be some negative sides of, of having that stuff in there uh, long term as well. So um, I don't think you have to to pull your hair out thinking about this one, Jay. Um, I think it's uh, just use that that little uh, strainer. Um, it sounds because it sounds like you're brewing at home. Use that. Get it sanded up nice. You know, get it good and clean. Get it soaked up. Whether it be in, uh, uh, I was always a big fan of the the one that foams at home uh, from Five Star. Uh, star sand, you know, get, get it, give it a good star sand soak, get it clean star sand soak. Use that. I, I think you'll be all set, man. Next question comes from Curtis Browse on YouTube. Hi, Adam. Love the channel and all the tips and tricks. I did want to pick your brain about a New Zealand lager we brewed that's hyper hazy. Like it looks like an NEIPA and the grist was just Pilsner malt and 5% carapils. I think the biggest issue was that the Whirlflock wasn't on hand, so we had no kettle findings, and I had a pretty good-sized Whirlpool and dry hop. Also, unfortunately, no pH meter, but I think this came out around 5.4 to 5.5, according to Brew and Water, but obviously can't say for sure without a reading. I'm also wondering if it could be a starch haze as we came in about five to six points lower than we expected. Uh, and the wort was super cloudy transferring to the kettle after sparging and going into the FB. All right. So um, talking about this unexpected haze in a beer, they did miss uh, their gravity, which, which they're, which they're speculating. Maybe they did not have, appropriate starch conversion because remember if you're not converting all that starch into sugar in the mash ton that can be that can be thrown haze down the line right so um i would recommend you uh in the future and start playing with it right now start looking at a doing a starch test an iodine test on that work i think it's a great uh cheap and effective way to make sure that you have your mash fully converted all you need to do is take a sample of your wort. Now, unfortunately, with darker worts, this does not work. But if you're working with something pale enough uh, in the yellow to maybe amber range, you can kind of see from there. But if you're doing that, you can take a sample and I would just put it like grab a little uh, like a little tea plate or a small plate, something wide and shallow and drop a little pool of wort into it. And then you can take your iodine, your undilute iodine. Pardon me. <laughs> I didn't mean to burp right in the microphone. And then just dropper iodine into, into that work. Um, if it stays reddish um, and just kind of turns, you know, the, the solution, you know, like that, um, you're good. If it turns purple, um, it means that there is still starch in there. 
Okay. I believe I had those colors correct, but I'm almost 100% positive that it's, if you hit that yellow wort with it and it turns purple, it means there's still purple slash blue. There's still starch in there. So you need to give yourself some more time for your uh, sacrification to happen. So, um, yeah, man, that's what I would run at that. And then as far as the overall clarity question, you did mention some of the other factors, you know, that whirlpool hop. Um, might have done it. Also, those New Zealand hops, man, those New Zealand hops are notorious for throwing haze. So there's some different things there, um, but there's a suggestion for uh, potentially remedying the starch issue in the future. And uh, I appreciate the question. Uh, Andrew, in the chat, I want to spoond. Dude, listen, we all want to spoond, man. What do you think this is? Of course we all want to spoond. It's a way of life, man. Come on. Next question is from James G on LinkedIn. Yeah, I take questions on LinkedIn, baby. Okay. I think I, I think I said this before and it was the same guy. <laughs> this dude, he, he hits me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm, creep, I'm creeping on every corner of the internet. I'm not on TikTok yet. I don't have enough time, you guys. I feel like it could be beneficial. I just don't. I don't have enough time to, to do TikTok as well. I have a senior brewer here that's been in the biz like 20 plus years, and he just recommended something to help save us on CO2 and chemicals. We're spending money like we own government contracts. He said that a notable brewery he used to work for, they would leave freshly emptied brights charged with CO2 at a temp in the 70s or so, basically unclean for the next batch of the same style coming through next. They set a limit maybe four or five times, then they would do a full clean. It saved them a ton on CO2. I'm considering this as an option for our three biggest movers if there aren't any major quality issues to consider. Our biggest tanks are 180 barrels and 120 barrels, which are almost always filled with the same three top selling brands. If this is a viable option, it would definitely be a cost savings for us. You were the first person I thought of for some insight thoughts. So um, kind of you. I've heard of it about this before. To, again, usually I'm talking like pub brewer stuff, but this is bigger. And Matt, yes, I do take questions uh, from Instagram as well. Not that I catch them all, but yes, I do. I do farm questions there as well. Um, so um, you've seen me use this book before, but we're going to look at uh, the book called Brewery Cleaning by Richard J. Wrench, which was issued by the MBAA. In that book, in table 3.2, they recommend for cleaning bright tanks for bright beer tanks, BBTs, clean after each use or up to 10 fills. Acceptable to clean with either 2 to 3% blended caustic at 158F or acid at ambient. Now, there's some things that we're talking about right here. I'm at a 15-barrel brew house. Maybe you're at a 7-barrel brew house, a 3-barrel brew house, a 10-barrel brew house, or a 30. I don't know. And you might not have a lab. You might not have a lab. I think what you really need to be doing in this situation is you're essentially emptying a tank and filling it again with the identical brand if your lab is on point, you're absolutely fine doing that. First of all, the MBAA says so. That's reasonable. If you're getting clean beer, you know, 
into those tanks and it's the same brand, you can absolutely save tons of money on that, whether that be a chemical savings or a CO2 savings. Um, if you use acid to clean those bright tanks, there can be a savings on CO2 as well. Because remember, if you are uh, using caustic, you need to be able to vent that thing completely because you will be denaturing your caustic. You could also be putting into a, you could also be creating a situation where you draw a vacuum on your tank and you don't want to be imploding anything. So, uh, so yeah, I think that is, was that everything that I had for that? Yes. So yeah, man, uh, James, I, I, I hope that makes sense. And uh, some of you that, that might make you break out a little bit. And I think some of us that are used to brewing on a, a smaller scale like that, um, you know, you, you know, you're putting different beers in different tanks all the time. I think that stuff makes sense when you have, when you have good tight lab practices and, and you're on the ball. Some of this stuff might be beyond some of us on, uh, on our scale. So um, I might recommend to avoid that um, because I don't know if the cost savings would make up for you having, I don't know, losing a batch. I don't know. That's just me. But James, thank you for the question. Next question is from DTJ on YouTube. What brew software do you like, Adam, for pro brewers? I use what a lot of people are using, and there's probably other stuff out there too. I use Beersmith. So if anybody's buddy was with the Beersmith guy, um, hit him up and say that we should do a podcast together or something. But anyways, um, I've been using Beersmith since the first pro place I was working with. So... Um, yeah, I, I think you can do inventory stuff with it as well and price tracking. Um, I don't know if it updates between the mobile and the desktop version of it. The last time it didn't as far as inventory and pricing and stuff goes. I find that a little bit annoying from a big picture thing. But the brewing software I think is great. I don't use it for the water stuff. I use brewing water for that, but I'm sure. I'm sure it does a good job for that. Um, but uh, but yeah, I like Beersmith. Um, I pay for the membership so I can have a bunch of recipes in there. And yeah, it's always been it's always been super handy um, and a good predictive tool for me when I'm writing recipes. So thank you, DTJ, for your question. Next question is from Manderson on YouTube. Does spoonding work for all beer styles? Um, yeah, I mean, especially, uh, I'm going to say, especially in, in a time when uh, costs are becoming uh, more and more difficult, you know, hitting, hitting your bottom line as far as raw materials goes, um, it, you can definitely save on CO2 and, and get really close to full well carbonated beers uh, at the end. So, um, you know, I would, I would give it a shot um, and, and look into it. Now, you might find um that you know again this is always my my prerequisite if you're using a yeast strain that's going to be blasting out of there um i might be a little worried about gumming up your your spunding valve but if you take the approach of uh of of spunding when you have like you know 
two to one Play-Doh left in your fermentation, you're probably done blowing off at that point. So, um, so yeah, just don't create a situation where you're going to have a lot of yeast and stuff going through a spunding valve, a spunding valve, spund, spund, spind. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to plug that up. Um, I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody wants that. So, um, so yeah, that's my, that's my take on spunding different styles. Um, and do know that you could potentially, eh, you know, if, if you're not, if you're not pressure fermenting the whole time, it, it probably wouldn't mess much with your, with your ester expression either, because the ester expression is probably already determined at that point of your fermentation anyways, if you're waiting toward the tail end. So. Yeah, that that's my that's my take on that. I say run it, dude, and find out how you like it. Bill Nova on YouTube. So I brewed a few lagers that were just okay. My question is, how do you get the crispiness, the crispness into a lager? Thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna check out. We're going to dig into an article that I, I found from the Escarpment Labs website. And I remember I remember reading this and, and I thought it was an interesting thing. And it, 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 it centers a little bit upon the uh, this does talk about Kvike yeast. All right. It does talk about Kvike yeast, but um, I think some of the things play one of the one of the issues that they were uh, talking about crispy boys or these crispy light beers that people are uh, that people are brewing now. That pH plays a role in that, and uh, Kvike tends to drop pH a little bit more um, than standard ale yeast. So um, that was kind of how this this came out of it came out of this. But let, let's dig into this this great blog post that they had on the Escarpment Labs website. They are a yeast lab out of uh, Canada, I believe. So. Uh, if you're if you're Canadian folks, look, look look for their look for their stuff. pH is critical throughout the brewing process, from the water that is used to hydrate the mash through to the finished beer. Nearly every ingredient plays a role in modulating beer pH. The water contains minerals that determine the degree of pH buffering. The color and amount of grain influences the pH during the mash. Hops too can influence pH, especially during dry hopping where the pH may rise by up to 0.3 units, 0.3 tenths. That, that's interesting. That's generally a tenth uh, per pound per barrel. Um, so just so you know. The same is true of yeast. Some yeast drop pH more than others. Following reports of low final beer pH from brewers including Long Beach Beer Lab, Levi, Levi Freed, Levi Fried, and others on the Milk the Funk group, we made sure to include testing beer pH on a massive screen, in a massive screen where we are running to compare all of our yeast strains. What we see here is that Kvike does indeed drop pH more than average yeast, and certainly more than English ale yeast and lager yeast, categories which tend to produce the least acidic final beer pH. This has implications for flavor as low pH Low beer pH is sometimes associated with perception of a thinner body as well as harsher and more astringent hop character. It is quite fascinating that despite Kvike being used in many of the same styles as the lager and English strains, lagers, air quotes, and NEIPAs uh, respectively, they do produce beer with noticeably different terminal pH. These this data 
these data present a possible solution. When brewing with Kvike, especially when targeting a crisp and clean beer, it can be helpful to use water with higher buffering capacity, mineral additions. It can also be helpful to avoid wort pH that is too low. While targeting 5.1 to 5.2 pH may be perfect for a Hellas fermented with lager yeast, the same wort may end up producing a slightly too acidic and thin beer in the hands of a Kvike yeast. Pushing that wort pH to 5.4 or 5.5 may help improve the final sensory characteristics of the beer. All right, so we end up talking about Kvike yeast a little bit with this. And the original question was talking about like the crispiness of a lager. Now, with Kvike yeast, you can make some lager-like beers, apparently, like with their Lutra. Um, so this would play in perfectly with that. If you are using uh, lager yeast, though, um, I the, the reason I, I mention this is pH is such a, a big important part of this. So when you do when you do when you are fermenting your pale lagers, your crispy boys with lager yeast, you know. I don't think you want to be driving that pH too low, as the article says. I think ultimately you want to be seeing that in the 5-4 range, um, which is kind of, I, I, I think, a sweet spot. Um, you can prevent some thinness in those beers. Um, but the, the flip side is, is the other things for keeping those lagers crisp are taking the residual sweetness kind of as low on the lower end of the style as you can. And also maybe dropping that bitterness a little bit too. They're they're typically correlated in a ratio, right? And you can kind of see that. I would shoot for the lower end of both of those things. And I think that that can help. Keeping that res residual sweetness down doesn't mean you have to throw a bunch of bitterness in to compete with it. And the whole thing just becomes more approachable and more palatable, right? You have your pH in the appropriate range. And those things just really pop off. So anyways, that's kind of my advice when it comes to uh, dropping those crispy boys. All right. You can also you can also run some uh, some adjunct at it. I think that can help um, depending on, you know, how light you want to be um, going going with that. So, yeah. Let me see. Okay. All right, cool. Uh, next question. It's Rec on YouTube. What steps do you take to improve shelf stabilization for your beers? This is going to be a real nuts and bolts answer on this, ladies and gents. We're talking yeast health. We're talking cleaning and sanitizing, and we're talking about oxygen. These these are our bread th th these are our bread and butter tools as brewers the things that we the things that we must have okay so uh, how do you what do, uh, what steps do you take to improve shelf stabilization in your beers you can do things like uh, we we've we've talked about recently uh, you know uh, throwing in uh, sorbet sorbating a beer you know different things like that. Um, that's, that's fine. Whatever. I'm not crazy about it. Um, still fighting a beer. Um, again, that's not like something I'm super excited about, but, um, healthy yeast, good fermentations. That's, that's, that's a big one. Okay. Um, the, the happier your, your yeast is and your fermentation is, uh, the better. 
Um, you want as lean of a product going into package as possible. You don't want a whole bunch of yeast going in there if it's not supposed to be a strain that carries uh, yeast along with it. You want nice, clear beer going from vessel to vessel, especially if the beer is supposed to be clear. Um, and you need to be on your on your game when it comes to cleaning and sanitizing. Please don't lean on a sanitizer to help out your cleaning. You cannot sanitize without cleaning. You cannot sanitize soil. So please make sure that you are following your time, temperature, chemical concentration um, for your CIP cycles. Okay? Um, please make sure you're doing that. Um, blast that stuff out. Rinse it out well. Rinse it back to pH neutral, whatever your, whatever your, uh, whatever your local water is, baseline pH. And then run your sani at appropriate levels. Titrate that stuff out. Your chemical manufacturer will have that stuff for you. Then typically people are going to be using an oxidizing sanitizer like a PAA. Throw a little head pressure on that tank. So we run sani on the, the fermenter. You, if you see my brew days, you know, Josh is down there doing that or Maggie was down there doing that. Run that sani. Uh, get the sani out of the tank. Um, and then you can seal that tank up. You can put a little pressure on that if you want. And right before liquid or yeast goes into that tank, vent those bottom ports, both your racking arm if you have one and the bottom, because you're going to have that stuff collecting down at the bottom over time. Blast that stuff out. It's an oxidizer. You don't want to oxidize in your work. It's a sanitizer. You don't want it killing your yeast. Okay. So try to really make sure you get that stuff out of that fermenter. Then the other thing after that is oxygen. I would recommend that everything that goes into uh, post-fermenter, right? So whether you're going to a bright tank or a serving tank, whatever, make sure to the best of your ability, you are purging that next vessel, even the transfer lines, everything you can do, okay? There's an MBA podcast where they recommended moving CO2 through the bottom of that tank at 5 PSI. And basically what it turns out to is a half hour for every five barrel size of the vessel. All right. They say if you don't have, if you don't have the tech or the gear to test your dissolved oxygen as you're purging those tanks, that's what you should do. So anyways, um, and I know that's real nuts and bolts basic, but but listen, guys, that's the game, man. That's that's the whole game. So, um, and if you're yeah. having issues, <clears throat> troubleshoot. Get an, get somebody else's eyes in there if you need to, and say, "Listen, I'm doing this. Problem solve it. Do it yourself. Get somebody else in. Uh, think on it. Right? Like that's that that's really where we earn our. That's really where we turn our. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what I was about to say, but yeah, that's that's where we really start to um, be brewers, right? Figure out the, the those problems. So, yeah, that's what I would encourage you to. It's rec. Uh, I appreciate the question. Next question is from Beer is what I make on YouTube. What's your thoughts on venting while carving? I've always been in the school of never venting, as it could scrub aromatics and reduce head retention. But I moved to the West Coast a couple of years ago, and a lot of big-name breweries are doing it 
in some form or fashion. I've also seen forums with some European breweries say they do it for fast carbon 200 barrel tanks, saying they periodically relieve pressure to allow for better CO2 flow through the entire tank, but it just seems counterintuitive. I'd love to hear your thoughts, if any, on the topic. Anyways, love the channel. Cheers. Thanks, beer is what I make. I appreciate the kind words. Here's the deal, brother. I've done it. I've done it both ways. We've called it the bleeding feed. I did that when I first got into the industry. Uh, right now, I don't do that. I do uh, go on that thought of saying, you know, I mean, we're going to, you know, try to carve a little bit more gently through that stone. I usually try to do it uh, in the process of overnight through the carb stone um, when I'm carving through a carb stone. But bleeding feed works, man. I mean, it's the idea that you're injecting gas through a sintered stainless steel stone um, at some point in the tank, on a lower point in the tank typically. And then you are releasing. CO2 pressure essentially off the top of the tank or the CIP arm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it works. It, it carbs up a beer in a hurry. Um, but, you know, when you're making hoppy beers, the, the brewery is going to start smelling like hops, you know. So, you know, are you stripping aromatics off of it? Sure. Is it possible that you're beating up that beer a little bit from a foam stability standpoint? Sure. The flip side is, is how much of a difference? I don't know. I'm sure there are breweries that are doing that, uh, maybe doing it in a pinch, maybe doing a standard practice. And it's just what that beer tastes like and it works and it passes the sensory stuff that they need it to. And that's great. Um, I'm not going to fault anybody for doing it. I do it a more gentle way, but that's just personal preference, you know? So yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what I do with it. So anyways, I appreciate the question. Beer is what I make. Let me get a little sippy sip here. Hearts are coming up. I don't know why hearts come up in the chat. I don't know what that means. I'm late to the party. Hey, y'all. What up, Bobby F? We got Cowboy Brewer in here. Uh, I think I shouted out Andrew already. I'm not sure. Andrew, what up, dude? Um... Yeah, a few different names in here tonight. This is uh, this is good stuff. I wonder, uh, Jamie sending hearts. Well, that's that's pleasant. I I appreciate that. I don't know how any of this stuff works. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I really don't know how any of this stuff works. Um, so uh, next question goes to off duty adventurer on Instagram. What is your opinion on lactic acid doses? dosing versus lactobacillus souring is this a thing it is a thing um and here's uh here's here's a few notes on it my thoughts on it are you are going to in my opinion get a more nuanced better tasting beer that is soured with lactobacillus than you will by pouring lactic acid into a beer Jam the jamil zana chef and i was gonna say the great i love jamil Jam I, I, jamil taught me so much man um and uh yeah it's yeah he taught me so much but anyways um jamil uh would always say that pouring lactic acid into a non-tart beer that you want to be a berliner vice is like 
microwaving a steak. I think there's probably something to that. I will say this, though. Um, I think that if you are in a situation where you have made a tart beer, you have made a Berliner style beer or a tart beer or something like that, and you're tasting it and you know that it needs a little more punch, you're leaning on that acid and there's not enough acid. And so the beer is flabby and maybe a little, a, a little weird, you know what I mean? But, um, but yeah, so I think in a situation like that, I think you can augment and, and I would, you know, titrate in a glass or different, you know, different volumes or whatever. Um, but, uh, I think you can help to magnify. I think you can amplify with, uh, an addition of lactic acid into a beer that you already soured with lacto, but maybe it didn't give you the punch that you were looking for. Um, I don't think there's any, any problem with that. I think that's an effective, an effective thing that you can do, but I do think you need to actually, you know, going back to the steak analogy, I think you actually need to get the grill marks on it, man. You know what I mean? You gotta get a little charcoal on there. And uh, you, you, I think it benefits from the the actual the actual acid profile that is created uh, through through a, a lacto or a lacto blend. Um, that's that's my thought. So yeah, yeah, uh, that's my take on on doing that, and that's the way I, I would I would recommend use the lacto if you can, um, and then if you need to punch it up with lactic acid, go for it, go for it. Next question is from Rise Adkisson on Instagram or Reese or something, I don't know. What is the most rewarding thing about brewing for you? At this stage in my career, the most rewarding thing for me about brewing is uh, the people that I'm working with, um, I've got some. I've got some great people at Cartridge, um, and I. You're in the trenches with them, man. You know what I mean. You're 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 operating a business. It's not your business, but you know you're you're operating a business. You're working hard to get better. Um, we're working really hard on the business side of things right now. Not that we weren't before, but you know, like you kind of ebb and flow, right? Um, we're we're really zeroing in right now on uh, on that, and um, I don't know, man. What what I love about it is I love my people. You know, I, I I love working with people that are hardworking, people of character, and uh, it just makes you want to show up and 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 be good, be great, you know. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not saying that I'm great or good, but what I'm what I'm saying is is it's it, it, it motivates you, right? You want to support people and help people. I'm also at the point because I have people uh, that work for me. Um, I like providing opportunity for people, um, and that's very rewarding. Uh, the beer side of it is great, and I, I learn things on that side too, and and that's great. But um, I think that's kind of the given, um, but maybe the maybe the the less known thing is how much I, I I like the people and and actually the interpersonal developmental part of that. Um, 
So side note, if you do want to hear my thoughts on leadership uh, over on the podcast, there is the full talk that I gave on leadership for the Ohio Craft Brewers Conference. So you can listen to that in the car or the gym. Again, those are the only two places you can apparently listen to podcasts. So yeah, uh, that's my take on that. I appreciate the question. Next question is from Ian on YouTube. Have you adjusted your cast out pH on your hazy IPA? I like casting out at six pH. That's what was written. And I tried to get clarification. I'm thinking that that's not really what he's saying. I think ultimately we can even just forget about that. I don't think he's talking about casting out at six because what the process is, you want to be dropping your pH in these, uh, these beers that receive these large volume of whirlpool hops, these big, uh, these big dry hops, because those hops are actually driving the pH back up in, in your beer. Okay. So, um, we mentioned before, uh, earlier in this stream, but, um, you might be able to see a, you can probably expect for every pound per barrel, a pH increase of 0.1 for every pound per barrel. So if you are dry hopping, you know, three pounds per barrel on, on a hazy style beer and you're at food, you're at the food safety line of four or five, you can be pushing up to four, eight really quick. And technically you're not supposed to be up there, you know? So, and if you're dropping, you know, one and a half to two pounds per barrel in the whirlpool, you're pushing your pH back up again. So I have routinely been on aggressively whirlpool hopped and dry hopped new england style beers i will drop that work ph uh down to four six to four eight and when he says i like casting out at six ph i have a hunch he's saying four six but i could be you know i, I could be wrong but yeah you do want to drive that ph down a little bit and one of those hot boy neipa podcasts that they had on craft beer and brewing those guys were talking about it and he told you everything, a whole bunch of things about his process, but he would not tell you exactly what the pH was. Um, it's like, listen, if you're if you're saying stuff, just say it. Oh, that's just me, though. But look at me. I got a crooked tooth, man. I don't, I don't know a whole lot of stuff. Um, that is what I do for pH on the New England style beers. Next question comes from Brad on instagram actually i'm jumping i need to go back next question i'm doing this because i'm going to mix it up either way next question is from whiskey monkey on ig <laughs> whiskey monkey man dang how much whirlpool and dry hops are necessary to get a ton of flavor in your ipa slash new england ipa um there's a there's a People, people like asking this one, and, and I'll just kind of give you some general parameters. I think in the Whirlpool, both of those beers require uh, one to one and a half pounds per barrel. I think the difference being with your NEIPA, it may be beneficial to drop your Whirlpool temp. And then on the other side, I think the floor for, uh, for West Coast IPA is two pounds per barrel. Um, and you can go up from there. Um, I think the floor for New England is three to four, but 
again, I could be wrong and you can go up from there. Um, but that's, that's kind of, that, that's kind of my take on that. I, I do think you need more hops in, in new England style beer. Um, and yeah, what, what I would do is, uh, again, cause we're also trying to maximize, uh, pull up that chart on, uh, hop survivables in, uh, from, I believe Yakima chief and, you know, you're going to want to make sure you're using the, the, your whirlpool hops wisely right don't be using whirlpool hops that might just be blown out and not be not even be in the finished beer anymore due to a vigorous fermentation remember jeremy marshall of lagunitas head brewer over at lagunitas i think he still is um said that he likes to see the 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 ferment the fermenter the fermentation as the second boil it's the second time that you're driving aromatics out of your beer so um so yeah that's kind of my take on volume of hopping for both West Coast IPA and New England style IPA. I realize how much I drink when I do this volume of liquid. I do get like, well, 24, it's not a lot, but it's 24 ounces of water. I get thirsty. And I guess it's because actually what I'm doing is just sitting down here and talking for two hours. For sure, Bill Nova. I got your back, brother. Um, so thanks, Whiskey Monkey. <laughs> I don't know. I think that name's still funny, but I do. Next question is from Brad on Instagram. Is it too late to start a beer industry career in your 40s? No. Next question. I'm teasing. <laughs> um, no, it's not, man. Uh, but um, I think... Here's here's the here's the bullet points on it. Um, you need it needs to make sense for you financially. You know, um, depending on where you're at, family wise, relationship wise, it's hugely important. Uh, one of the number one uh, one of the number one tension points in relationships slash marriages is financial. Uh, Trevor, thank you very much, man, um, for the happy birthday wishes. Um, the Finances are a, a big stressor, you know, um, and if you're not in a situation where that's going to be a concern for you, that's great. But that's something that needs to be considered. Um, also, I would really encourage you if you are wanting to start a, uh, a brewing career in your 40s, uh, please start taking care of your body basically like you are an athlete. And that might sound dumb. And I am not an athlete. but um, you really need to care for yourself, man. You're 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 moving into the land of uh, manual labor, and maybe you're already in manual labor. Um, but you're back. You need to stretch. You need to exercise. You need to do stuff and uh, physically on the physical side. Um, and you also need to uh, watch yourself on the alcohol side as well, um, because that that that's a real thing. Um, I think it's harder to do in your forties, man. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's been, it's been hot as hell. Uh, this past, this July was hot, man. And when it's, when it's mid nineties outside and that brewery I work in is beautiful, but it's a, it's a greenhouse. We have lots of natural light and I'm super, I, I love that we have it. I'm not complaining, but man, it gets hot. It gets hot in there. And, uh, it's not easy on your body, man. You know, I, I came home, I, I came home those days where it was, you know, 98 in the brewery or whatever. And, 
you're you feel broken you know like it's it, it's it's no joke um but i just don't want this to sound like this is me saying you know i, I walked uphill f- five miles to school each way or anything like that i'm not trying to like old man somebody here or something but um but yeah i mean i would recommend you uh you need to be in the right spot financially um I think you need to have some other things, you know, maybe set for yourself, depending on what station of life you're in, um, as far as stability go- goes. Um, make sure if you have a partner that they are legitimately 100% supportive of you doing it. Um, and then, uh, I mean, yeah, check it out. I-, I would I would see if you can get in and shadow with some people. You know what I mean? Um, and like as many days as you can, you know, and uh, see see what it is you know um but other than that yeah i would i would encourage you to check it out and then also if you haven't if if you if you haven't already go back into the play playlist check out my nuts and bolts tutorials um on tank cleaning my brew day stuff different technique stuff dig into that stuff and and maybe it'll it'll help you be able to make uh those choices so yeah man appreciate the question appreciate the question b rad Next question is from Juan Carlos. Hi, Adam. I've watched your videos on YouTube. I'm trying to find the best way to clean the outside of my bright tank. Uh, He's got some scale on there. Um, And he is a kombucha brewer in Mexico City. And he says, if I ever come to Mexico City, please let me know. I I get that so often from so many people. Um, If I'm ever traveling uh, to please stop by, that's that's very kind of you all. Um, But um, he's wondering about some uh, cleaning solutions. One of the things that I have found, and they actually changed our water on the municipal level here, which has been helpful. So we don't get as much scale as we used to, but we used to throw a ton of scale. and uh, what has worked really well for lifting that scale for me is the 50-50 blend of nitric and phosphoric acid that I use in, in the brewery. Um, you know, you can spray that onto tanks. Um, there might be a foaming option that you can add to that as well. You could foam a tank with it. I like the, the blue Scotch-Brite scrubbies. They're, they're, less, they're less aggressive than the green ones. Um, and when I have really bad spots on there, I've taken that and like worked those spots over and worked those down. Um, ideally you might just want to be able to hit it once a week. Um, you know, like spraying it once a week or something like that, letting it run down and dry and then rinsing it. That might keep your film from building up, but it might, it might require a little elbow grease, uh, up front. Um, but you're probably looking at something on the acid side, uh, to clear that scale. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what I use to do that stuff. So next question comes from Jop Barras on Instagram. Hey, Adam, first of all, thank you for all the content and guidance you are bringing to this community. Your work is highly appreciated. Hope you keep this great momentum. You are having much success. I'm a brewer from Costa Rica and I have been working in a small brewery, 10 barrel brew house, trying to improve things in every bit of the process. I really appreciate if you could make a video showing the CO2 hose management at cartridge from CO2 bulk reservoir to manifold to point of use. I'm trying to bring uh, to standard our setup and would like to see what other pros are using. 
We carb in FBs and our carb stones have a tri-clamp connection. I'm guessing that stainless steel QDs, quick disconnects are the way to go. Yeah, I use those. They're expensive as hell, man, but I use them. I get them from GW Kent. Um, as far as for Costa Rica, I'm not sure who you'd be using for that, but um, they'll have like a tri-clover to quick disconnect, and then a quick, uh, which is the male, and then uh, a, uh, a quick disconnect, you know, female, uh, female um, that attaches to that. That's what's on all my stuff going to tanks. The flip side is, so to, to get to the rest of it, I have a bulk CO2 tank. And then it goes through uh, this thing with a whole bunch of fins, and I always forget what it's called. But it's basically meant to uh, stop like the CO2 from icing up and things like that. It goes through that like this through this diffuser, um, and then I run it directly to, and I use like the harder, um, so it's not like a soft nylon. You can't squish it, not with your fingers. Um, you know, with pliers you can, but like the like the harder um like nylon reinforced and so it has like the threads through it you know what i mean i use that uh check your check your psi rating on that on that stuff to make sure that's going to handle your stuff going from your bulk tank to uh your bank and so i have a a bank of co2 regulators you can get them from probably gw kent here in the states also, Fox Equipment, F-O-X-X Equipment. Um, but there might be some other, uh, Micromatic might do it as well. But you can actually find a bank, and sometimes they'll build them whole. I didn't use the, the pre-built ones. I made, I, I built my own. But you just link them. And so what it is, is there's just CO2 going straight through, just like raw, full pressure off the tank, going through this entire bank. And then it stops at one end. And then it's reduced. Each one of those regulators reduces the lines that go out to your tank. That's what I have. Okay. And then the lines that I have going to my tank are basically like uh, the, the CO2 line that's not like reinforced with string inside of it, with fiber inside of it. Um, but it's just like the red like stuff that you would see like for draft line or whatever. Um, but it's solid. It's a solid color. You can, you can use the clear stuff as well. I do like using the red clear stuff so you can see if you ever have any liquid or condensation back in those lines. Um, and then I have those quick disconnects that I talked about before. Those quick disconnects are hella expensive, dude, but I, I do like them. The ones I'm using have held up the whole time. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's expensive. So that, that's what I'm doing with that. And thanks for all the uh, international love, uh, Jot Barras from Costa Rica. I love it. That blows my mind, getting questions from people so far away. Uh, Marcus, uh, thanks for the birthday wishes. Uh, all right, what else? Hey, we've got last question of the night is from uh, Jamie Tripp. Happy birthday, Mr. Mills. My humble question is if you think dry hopping could be achieved using the same technique that you use for juicing, utilizing a smaller unitank, 15 gallon, and purging with CO2 and then back flushing through the racking arm to soak and break up pellets, then increase the pressure and force the hop sludge into the fermenter. I know it sounds crazy if I prefer 
uh, it, I prefer not working on top of the tank and my space is a little tight for your hop do dosing mechanism. So we're talking about ways of getting dry hops into a tank. Yeah, man, I think that's a perfectly acceptable way to do that. Steve, thanks for the happy birthday wishes, brother. Um, and and people do this. So, uh, you know, you can clean and sanitize a brink. It has a four-inch port on top. You can easily pour hops into there. You get it good and sanitized. You get your hops in. You seal it up. You purge it. You backflow some beer into, into that. Uh, let those hot pellets break up and then kind of push them back in and then maybe flow some back in, shaking around a little and push it back in. You know, you're going to want to do that in sanitary, uh, as oxygen free as you can, all those things, of course. But yeah, man, it's not a crazy thought and people do that. Um, so, uh, I would look, um, maybe rather than a brink because a brink might be difficult if you use the side port because sometimes there'll be a brink like this and the, there'll be a port right here so you might be leaving some stuff on the bottom you wouldn't want to be doing that um maybe uh maybe if you do have a, a a smaller vessel with a cone shape that might actually be the easiest way to do that i would recommend you using the largest port you can if you have a two inch port on that smaller vessel and a two inch port on your fermenter that that might that it's going to give you more space to be able to get pellets through there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, I, I think that's a fine option. There's 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 a lot of folks that do that. And your your mind is in the right place, Jamie. So that is a wrap, everybody. I had uh, a lot of questions planned uh, for today. I think we maybe got like 26 or 27. Um, I just want to, I, I just want to let you know, uh, how much I appreciate, uh, all the, all the positive words, um, and all the support that you guys give, um, to be honest, man, that this last month was, this last month was, was hard, man. It's been, uh, like I said, it's been hot in the brewery. So getting exhausted at work and then, you know, just life stuff and, and everything's good. Don't, don't get me wrong, but I'm, I'm tired and, uh, I've got, I've got some time coming up uh, this week. I'm going to see some, some, some friends that that quite frankly, I I I used to just think everybody had friends like that, but uh, I don't think people do. And I'm I'm somebody that is incredibly blessed with uh, with really next level people, and I'm going to be seeing some of them uh, over the upcoming weekend and take a little time uh, to unwind. And uh, yeah. So anyhow, uh, thank you for, for all the birthday wishes. This is going to be, this is going to be the, the best 46th the year, uh, I will ever live. So yeah. Anyhow, uh, keep in mind, we do have Cole Hackbarth from Rheingeist coming up later in August as our brewer interview. I will have that date coming up on social media. So follow me there. And as always, give likes, comments, shares, subscribes to all those things that you love that I'm producing through the various platforms. And yeah, appreciate it so much, you guys. Hope you have a wonderful month and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Have a great night. Bye.